0: Enough with the partisan bickering. I'm going to give you libertarian solutions to the issues we're facing today. The Monica Perez Show starts now. This is Monica Perez, your libertarian voice on News 95.5 and AM 750 WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. So normally I give you the news of the week from a libertarian perspective, but. This week, I want to really focus on all the big issues, the big headlines, if they were actually addressed from a uh, libertarian uh, ideology, from the principles of libertarianism, which happened to be the founding principles, the enlightenment principles behind this country. So uh, normally I will give you my perspective, but... uh, but people think it's theoretical. In actuality, the principles are very simple. They are. They led to such great prosperity in this country, much more even wealth distribution in the 19th century. Yet uh, people don't realize how practical and doable it all is. Now, on the other hand... What I don't like to do is offer policy prescriptions that can be shoehorned into this welfare warfare superstructure that we have. So I, I get I have disputes with other libertarians about how to deal with the immigration problem. To the extent you think there's a problem with immigration, uh, you think too many people are coming in or whatever you think the problems are these are functions of the policies of the super state. So you're not going to solve them with policies because the guys who are doing the back office dealing know exactly what they're doing and, uh, and they're not going to solve the problem. But, uh, but even if you could actually solve the problem or make it less bad, you know, whatever you think the problem, you know, if you think it lowers wages or whatever, even if you could kind of patch it up, h- introduce a policy fix, I don't really like that. Because what you're doing is using real economic and moral principles to help along this superstate that violates all those principles. And I have a great example of that that I never heard anybody else talk about. So maybe I'm missing something, but I think... I think I'm right. When Reagan took office in 1981, he took office. We had just come off this insane period of inflation and unemployment. It was just crazy. And, and it had resulted from, if you take the 70s in a package, the kind of Nixon closing the gold window launched this. You can see how the... Value of the dollar just collapsed after the Fed was created in the early 20th century. And then when Nixon closed the gold window and did some other stuff that (laughs) messed with price levels. So Reagan, who who I think who did ask the question, like, why do we need the Fed? Why? Why are things this way? He would have been open to a real profound uh, policy of of moral and economic principle. But instead, he and Paul Volcker, who was the Fed appointee of Carter, did manage to rein in inflation by raising interest rates and other stuff that that used the policy tools that they had to fix this problem. But but what that did was it disconnected the people's understanding of the horrible impact closing the gold window had. Ron Paul actually entered politics. He was a doctor. He entered politics when Nixon closed the gold window because you knew how devastating it would be. And actually, uh, our standard of living, the our purchasing power of our wages as just regular workers in this country has flatlined since then. Because when you use fiat money, when you inflate the money like that, the wages don't go up, but the values, the value of the assets go up. So there's more money in the system. Wages go up eventually, but, but there's more money in the system to inflate asset values. So great examples like you're at the gas station... The guy behind the counter makes 10 bucks an hour year in and year out, but your, the value of the oil, can, uh, the gas that you pump can go right through the roof, and you have to pay it, even though you're another guy who makes 10 bucks an hour. So when you look at policy fixes like what Reagan and Volcker did, nobody ever thinks about, you know, nobody seriously looks at the practical implications of closing the gold window because they were effective in their policy fix. So I always go back to the principles. What's the root cause of the problem? What is the libertarian solution to the problem? And uh, this week, what I'm—I want to uh, respond to some of the biggest stories in the news uh, that that I think would not be problems if the if the simple libertarian principles were applied. If you have so, Binkley and I, my producer here, we we have compiled some headlines. I'm going to just take them off, go through them during the show. I uh, talk about the issues and what the libertarian solutions are, but if you have issues from the week that you want to know what would be the libertarian solution, give me a call 404-872-0750 or 1-800-WSB-TALK. But there was another big story uh, this week, big to me, uh, Zbigniew, if you will. Zbigniew Brzezinski died. And if you have not heard of him, well, if you listen to my show, you have for sure heard of him, but... He, when I say it's us versus them, they are plotting to, you know, control the world or have a world government or whatever. He's them. (laughs) Brzezinski is them. And he had some, you know, his, what he did, what he wrote about, what he talks about, he was Carter's national security advisor, but he was much more than that. He was one of the founders of the Trilateral Commission, which is a Rockefeller entity that, um, uh, one big thing of his was he commissioned through the trilats a book called crisis of democracy where a bunch of people from different countries contributed their ideas of how to prevent the kind of civil unrest from the 60s going forward and some of those people weren't happy with how brzezinski sold it he said the conclusion was to make sure i mean i'm giving you shorthand here but you can buy the book crisis of democracy that if people were all in uh belong to institutions that that they depended on, where their bread was buttered, that they had no democratic power, they could be kept in line by these institutions like unions, corporations, universities, stuff like that, that that would be a way to kind of disempower the individual. I'm not kidding. I mean, I, I you, it's at the end of the book. When I first started talking about this book, it was like 30 bucks for a used copy. Now it's $300. So I think they're trying to get it off the shelves. Maybe there's a PDF that would be good. But he's done other things. I know, um, I think, Binkley, you've got some tweets there. I think Dean tweeted something good about Brzezinski this morning. Uh, what you got there?
1: Yeah, Dean tweeted that Brzezinski was the father of the refugee crisis. He even admitted that power gained was worth terrorism.
0: Yes. Uh, this is an interesting thing. I wrote an article. I posted it when Brzezinski died. Uh, but the article I wrote a long time ago was a review of a book called Dollars for Terror. And that book was written before 9-11, so it's not like it's part of the info, disinfo, truth, anti-truth stuff. It's just completely outside of that. Uh, it pertains to it, but it's before it. it has no political charge in that regard. But it had a quote in there, and it explained that, and this is not denied, that if you saw the movie Charlie Wilson's War, I don't know, I didn't actually see that, but I think it misrepresents what really happened in Afghanistan. People think that, Uh, You know, Hillary actually testified before Congress and other people have admitted that the U.S. uh, radicalized Islam, created the Mujahideen, specifically Osama bin Laden. It was Osama bin Laden's Arabs, I think they called them at the time, to uh, battle, undermine the secular, secular government of Afghanistan. Not a religious government. It was a secular government that was aligned with the Soviet Union. So Brzezinski had this radicalized Islam uh, you know, cre- create problems for this government and provoked the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan. Now, the way it's sold to us is that Soviets invaded first, and we used the Mujahideen to battle them, but that's not true. He said he wanted to mire the Soviet Union in a Vietnam of their own, and I think uh, I have the quote here. It's from the article I wrote, which I put at the top of uh, PropagandaReportDaily.com. It says, Brzezinski said, which is more important from the perspective of world history, the Taliban or the fall of the Soviet Empire? A bunch of excited Islamists or the liberation of Central Europe and the end of the Cold War? So he thought it was a fair price to pay. I think that's what Dean is talking about. He thought it was a fair price to pay. But look, I mean, we've got this radical Islam, and it's not like our... Uh, We just stepped back and let, you know, we don't have no idea what's going on. We continue to do these kind of influence these, these movements in that area. He actually came up with the, you know, you could call it a name, you could call it a handle, but it was really, in my opinion, a plan to have this um, was an arc of crisis. I think it was throughout the Middle East to have kind of fires burning there to justify our involvement, because he felt that that was kind of the center of Eurasia, which was where all the power in the world truly lied. So he wrote a book, The Grand Chessboard, like that, uh, that talked about that. So he was quite a character, and if you read everything that he wrote, you would understand that these guys do kind of plan ahead, and that what you think is incompetence or happenstance is quite often part of their plan to manipulate the world and... uh and they do it and and they just sell it to us in the in the the media as if these are just spontaneous problems that we're trying to solve. But they're not. So I recommend that you dig in a little bit to Zbigniew Brzezinski, And I actually wonder who it is who's gonna take his place uh, in that grand chessboard behind the scenes, or as a marionette maybe, on of the puppets. So but I do want to talk about a about some of these libertarian issues. So we'll get to that. Uh, I'll get to my first headline right after the break, 404 872 750, 1 800 WSB Talk, uh, and you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show.
2: Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB.
0: It's 80 degrees outside the studio, a 10 on the Mellish Meter. Weekend weather is brought to you by Shoemate Heating and Air. And today I want to do something a little bit different. I want to take the issues of the week, any headline that you want, and give you the libertarian solution. The real-time, what libertarian actual policy, not just theory, would do uh, to solve these problems. So I want to start with some headlines you can call me with yours, 404 750 You can also tell me what you think about uh, what you think the libertarian solutions are to some of the headlines we're bringing out. You can also tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. I've got Binkley here. Binkley, we have time for headline. Uh, go.
1: From WSB, work requirements drop thousands in Georgia from food stamps.
0: Yes, that was a big story. It was uh, able-bodied people with no kids have been kicked off food stamps for not finding jobs. There's a lot there to unpack. I will give you my opinion and the solution after the break. And I'd love to hear yours. 404-872-0750. 1-800-WSB-TALK. Or you can tweet at me at Monica Perez Show.
2: Monica Perez on News 95.5 at a.m. 750 WSB.
0: I am the Libertarian Voice on WSB every Saturday from 3 to 6. And this is Memorial Day weekend. So a lot of people are headed for the hills or in their cars. We're going to keep you company and take your calls. I want to talk about, I always give you the libertarian perspective, but today I really want to focus on libertarian solutions to the real problems we're facing today, this week. Anything in the news that uh, worries you, let me know. I'll give you my, my two cents. I've got some headlines. My producer, Binkley, pulled some headlines for me, so I'm going to tick some of those off. And now uh, also take your calls, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK. You can tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show. I'm going to go to Debbie in Suwanee. Hi, Debbie. You're on with Monica. Hi, Monica. Delighted to be here. I just finished reading the book, Big Agenda, by David Horowitz. And uh, one of the last chapters was so disturbing, as far as certain not-for-profits 501 cs particularly the Ford Foundation that was set up to help actual Causes such as health and those types of things that are being diverted into the uh, Democratic agenda. It's illegal, but it's happening. How can we get it to stop? Uh, Absolutely. That is a huge issue. And it's been an issue so long that there was a congressional committee called the Reese Commission in the 50s. That's goal was to see, it was by the House Un-American Activities Committee, to see if tax-exempt foundations were un-American and their conclusion was, yes, it is. They, they are. And there's a book written about it called Tax, it called Foundations, Their Influence and Power, I think, by Renee Wormser, who was uh, an attorney in charge of that. And then there was also uh, a great, um, there was a great video that G. Edward Griffin did of Norm... Gee, I can't remember his name now. I'll post it at the break where the guy talks about how uh, that he was the researcher for this commission and that he went into or his associate, Catherine Carey or Casey. See, I, I'm not prepared for this, but I, I do remember Catherine Carey, I think, Casey. She went into the Carnegie Foundation's records and found that they were plotting things like wars in order to transform the country from having an individualist outlook to a collectivist outlook. So these tax exempt foundations have been a problem for a long time. It was actually on my radar, Debbie, so I've kind of been it's been top of mind to me. And there are two solutions that I can think of. One is, and I'm I hate taxes. I think taxes should be basically zero, but the tax exempt I, I feel like tax exempt status for these foundations should be eliminated. I think that they they get so much more value out of it than they put into it because of that loophole. I feel like the way government corruption, when they hijack the CIA to do operations instead of just collect intel, they are not only putting themselves above the law, they're getting us to pay for uh, some of their agenda items abroad. So there's that. But Norm um, said in that video, or when I did some follow-up research, one of his recommendations was to have this thing called the rule against perpetuities for foundations. So, like, if you leave a will, you can't determine a hundred years in the future how your heirs use your property because that's like controlling things from the grave. And and you just there's only limited resources on the earth. It's for the living. These foundations have this intergenerational power because they can. They're like John Rockefeller the first. He was worth, I think, six hundred billion dollars in today's dollars when he died. And he set up a foundation with that money and and with ideas of kind of how to control the world going forward for his descendants and all that. And and it's been very effective. So to make it so that they cannot have these intergenerational mandates would help, I think. But I would start with not allowing them to be tax exempt, which is, you know, would be controversial in libertarian circles, I think. Anyway, so thank you very much for the call, Debbie uh binkley what um we were talking earlier before the break will you please read me that headline again that you read to me before the break
1: yes (laughs) ma'am wsb reports work requirements drop thousands in georgia from food stamps
0: yes this was a um this was on the radar around uh atlanta the detail was that able-bodied people with no kids were a lot of them kicked off? It was I think there were twelve thousand on on this program getting food stamps who were able-bodied and had no kids. And it went down to forty five hundred when this work requirement kicked in. It's a little paradoxical that you you need to work in order to get the food, but it it points to the assumption that the people are not working because they don't want to work, which may be true, may not be true. Uh, I know these systems are abused. I personally don't have, you know, a lot of outrage about the people who use the food stamps. It's the policy is such a temptation. It's a moral hazard. I mean, if there's something you can get free, it's almost impossible to turn it down. You can justify it in your mind in so many ways. Like, oh, well, I got the short end of the stick. You know, I'm a, a victim. You know, that's why the victim mentality folds in. For me, like I. I've paid a lot of taxes in my life, so I would, you know, I I paid unemployment insurance. When I lost my job, I did, I personally collected unemployment. You know, I wondered about it. As Stephen Kinsella would say, the great libertarian thinker, he would say, uh, I found it distasteful, but I did it. So I don't blame them so much. I do blame the policies, and I like to dig into what's the underlying problem here and the underlying assumption. There's 1.7 million Georgians on food stamps. That's that's 17 percent of the 10 million Georgians are on food stamps, which is about uh, on a par with the rest of the country, which has 44 million people on food stamps. So I look at this and I think, you know, what is it? That makes, you know, is it true that human beings can't feed themselves, you know, is that is the state of man, the state of nature, that we can't feed ourselves that like we're incapable of growing a potato or keeping a chicken alive for eggs, you know, I realize that doesn't sound right in the modern world. If you live in an apartment, you can't keep a chicken. But Living in an apartment, having the modern world, that stuff makes our productivity go up. that That's the source of wealth. That's the technology. That's the infrastructure. That's the community that should make us more than just live on a potato and an egg. So there's a disconnect there. And and I asked the question you know, in going down this path, like, what is it? What, what is the source of the problem where people don't think or actually cannot have access to resources so they can actually feed themselves so i'm happy to field calls on that or anything else 404-872-0750 1-800-WSB-TALK or you could tweet at me at monica perez show we
1: have a tweet that just came in oh in do response. you yeah what you got red pill tweets why can't people you know get food for themselves is it is it the patriarchy i don't see any other obvious causes
0: yes i think that is i would say That is true. And my actual libertarian solution to this problem would be to repeal all labor laws, to have absolutely no labor laws whatsoever, no minimum wage, no safety stuff, because we have... You know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't end the practice of tort law if you are, uh, if you harm somebody intentionally or with negligence, or if you treat somebody fraudulently, or um, deny them a wage you agreed upon. All those things are actual like crimes that you can prosecute. So you you don't need all these regulations. You just need uh, honest, open hands, uh, arms-length transactions, and if you did that. So, for example, I have a lot of windows in my house, and it's and I would love to have them cleaned all the time. I would I would give someone three meals a day if they would just wash my windows the whole time. Like I'm over in the morning. It would have to be a trustworthy person. I would let them use my shower, you know, if it <laughs> keep a pleasant environment.
1: Calls are gonna flood in.
0: Uh oh. <laughs> people want the job but i'm just saying it you know, give somebody a can of soup for washing the windows in your kitchen you know but why why isn't that what happens because the government doesn't allow that you actually could not do that so there was a bum going through the garbage i guess hobo my kids call them hobos homeless person he might not have been homeless but he
1: a nature man
0: He was, did not look like a nature guy he had a lot of accoutrements of not nature around him <laughs> like can bags of cans and stuff like that but a, a he, he said he was uh he said he lost his job and he just you know if I wouldn't mind if he went through my garbage and I was like no I don't mind and I I just I gave him some money and I thought to myself actually I could have him like break down my cardboard boxes like there's stuff he could do around my house there's a danger factor, I thought. You know, you don't really want to invite them there, but but you couldn't. Like, I couldn't just sit there and feed him and let him do stuff around my house because there are all sorts of laws that keep you. I wanted to hire, like, somebody to help me around the house, but you have to have, like, uh, workers' compensation, payroll taxes, just to get somebody to help you file all the paperwork is super expensive. It's just impossible. So it's the policies that I don't even think really protect people, but they do limit the workforce uh, in that way, and then you have the safety net. But there's another layer of this that um, people don't think about, but I think it, it might actually be true, is you subsidize. When you have these, these programs, you actually subsidize corporations that employ large bodies of labor by lowering the cost of that labor. So if they know... Free public transportation or food stamps or public health is going to allow their workers to show up on time without them having to pay a living wage. Maybe 20 bucks an hour is what people need, but they don't get it because they're still going to survive and come to work because they get food stamps and whatever. So I personally think that a lot of these public services are a way for the middle class to subsidize the lower class working for the upper class. But uh, when you start talking about classes, it makes me nervous (laughs) because it sounds all Marxist, which I am not. I'm an anarcho-capitalist. But classes are created by the privilege, by the government. They're created only by laws. Otherwise, classes don't even exist. The fluidity that we had much less class uh, in the 19th century than we do now. Um, I am going to go to a quick call. I'm going to O.T. and Tucker. Hey, O.T.,
2: uh, yes, ma'am. I wanted to talk to you about this uh, uh, health care thing that I uh, I, think I was wondering why the Republicans, well, I wasn't wondering, I know why, why they didn't say that they were passing a plan aimed at doing away with health care altogether. Ultimately, they wanted to get the government out of, out of it completely and out of all entitlements. But, of course, I know they're not going to do it. But the point is, they don't even understand the need for it. There should be a complete separation of the economy and of the government, so just like you're, church and state, and for the same reason.
0: Uh, for the yeah. same reason? Yeah. Because Because all the,
2: all the government does is muck it up. The, the, nobody can predict what the market's going to do. Nobody's smart enough. Uh, so you let yes. supply and demand operate.
0: Dude, and OT. I love what you're saying. i got to take a break, but I'm going to respond to all of it after the break. Thank you. That was awesome. I'll be right back. This is Monica Perez. Give me a call, 404-872-0750, 1-800-WSB-TALK, or tweet at me, at Monica Perez Show.
2: Monica Perez on News 95.5 at AM 750 WSB.
0: 87 is the high today, 65 the low overnight. Weekend weather is brought to you by Shoemate Heating and Air. And I just got a great call from O.T. saying that he, what the GOP needs to do is just repeal Obamacare. We were talking a little bit uh, about the libertarian solutions to some of the problems, and I want to get more into this, but I wanted to respond to O.T.'s comments that he said the GOP is obviously not going to do that, which is so totally true. I had this... Flash of uh, hilarity the other day because watching the GOP fall all over themselves to not repeal Obamacare reminded me of when I was a kid and would watch the Harlem Globetrotters and the Washington Generals and the Generals would just literally fall all over themselves to uh, to lose the game. And that's exactly what the GOP looks like to me. and uh, And another thing that OT said was the Uh, There should be a total separation of the economy and government. Thank you, OT. Thank you. Thank you. Hardly anybody says that anymore. And it's so true, and it's so obvious, and he added, because they're just going to muck it up. Why not uh, let the free market pricing mechanism take care of everything? I mean, I just, I love it. I love this guy. so. um, And it's true, the free market pricing mechanism is the source of all surplus wealth in the world because it was that brilliant moment where uh, the first uh, cave economists (laughs) just figured out how to attribute cost to resources. And by figuring out how much things cost, really appreciating the price and value of things, you know how to allocate resources effectively. And it is a Hayek's theory of information that points out that Every single individual, 7 billion people on earth, have their own preferences in mind about how they want to spend their work or what they want to buy or whatever. And by making choices about when and where and what to buy, every time they pull something off the shelf, every time they pump gas, they are providing feedback to the seller of whether they like or do not like or, you know, if they leave something on the shelf. They're providing feedback if they like or do not like uh, that product and that and that information sets prices correctly. Central control doesn't work. The government can't do it. More on that after this. And your questions four zero four eight seven two zero seven fifty one eight hundred WSB Talk at Monica Perez Show.